This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church around the world. I'm Greg Musselman. The persecution of the followers of Jesus seems to be ramping up in the Southeast Asian nation of Laos. That is according to VOM Canada partner and friend Patrick Klein. Patrick is the founder and director of Vision Beyond Borders and recently returned from Laos. We'll talk about what he was doing there in just a moment and also was told about a pastor that was killed by the communist government last November. Patrick has also been receiving reports of how Christians are being harassed and driven from their villages in Luang Pradang province for refusing to renounce Jesus. Patrick, thank you for joining me on Closer to the Fire. Thanks, Greg. It's good to be here. Yeah, and good to see you again. Uh, before we talk about the uh, recent incidents taking place in Laos and uh, why you were there, tell me about Vision Beyond Borders, and I love how you got the name. Um, so Vision Beyond Borders, our main priority is getting Bibles to people around the world in their own language. So we've been doing this for uh, almost 40 years. And then we also bring uh, supplies to help the refugees. Uh, we work to build orphanages and, and have some work with trafficking as well. Yeah, I know you're very busy. You do a lot of traveling. Uh, you see so many wonderful things of what God is doing, but you also see a lot of uh, things that are very troubling, you know, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet uh, the gospel is going forward. Now, so you're in Laos. Uh, why were you there? Um, we went to deliver Bibles to our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. Uh, it's very difficult for the, them to get Bibles in the country of Laos. So we have to carry them in and deliver them to them so they have God's Word. Do they not have Bibles at all, or do they just have parts of the Bible? Um, they do not have Bibles available in the country because it is a communist country. Right. So it's very difficult to get Bibles. They would have to go to surrounding... Uh, actually, they would have to go to Bangkok, down to Bangkok, uh, hundreds of miles away in order to try to purchase a Bible. What is the response then, Patrick, when they get a Bible? I mean, you and I, and you know, I got many Bibles in behind me and all over my house and all that. Um, so we're we're used to having God's Word. We just pick it up and we read it. So what is it like for our, our Loatian brothers and sisters when they receive God's Word? You know, they're really excited, Greg, to get Bibles. Uh, many times when they get a Bible, uh, they hug it. Um, sometimes they cry. They get they, a lot of joy in their faces. They're very happy, big smiles. Um, very grateful to get God's word in their own language. So let's talk a little bit, Patrick, about the situation in Laos. I mean, in many Laotians uh, consider themselves Buddhists and uh, kind of practice uh, Buddhism with tribal animism. Uh, you've also got a communist government that allows, you know, the evangelical church there. Uh, but there is a lot of, you know, oppression and persecution. Uh, I mean, the communist government and Buddhist monks actively persecute Christians. So the climate there is not easy for our brothers and sisters in Laos. It's really difficult for many Christians. Um, sometimes they get persecution from the government. Sometimes they get persecution from their families or from their villages. Um, you know, it's really hard for the Christians because um, they're persecuted. And sometimes even, even by the government church persecutes them. And so it's very difficult for them. Um, you know, in the city, in the capital, Vientiane, they have a lot more freedom. But out in the, out in the countryside... Uh, that's where they really see a lot of persecution. 
So talk about the uh, government-controlled churches. We know that from China, of course, with the th- uh, three self-patriotic uh, churches there. Uh, I mean, even those churches in China have had their challenges now as well. So what does the government churches look like in Laos? So uh, years ago, the leader of the Lao Evangelical Church went to China to learn how to have the church in Laos like they do in China, communist China. And so it's very much controlled by the government. Um, If a pastor is very evangelistic, if he's really reaching out, um, he's usually controlled or they'll put an associate pastor in there that will try to keep him under control or report to the government what he's doing. So it's very controlled. And we've heard that even the government church is the one that's really persecuting the underground church. And so it's very difficult. You would think that, okay, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're the ones that are really bringing a lot of persecution on the real Christians. We do know from China, um, and our friend Bob Fu of China Aid, I know you know him, and he's doing amazing work, um, you know, talks about the government-controlled churches. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the gospel can't be preached. You can't preach from Revelation. You can't preach from Daniel because it, you know, speaks of another kingdom, not their kingdom. And things have gotten worse there. But there are true believers in there. Uh, is that the case in Laos as well, where even though it's controlled by the communists and there's spies in the church, um, are there active believers trying to work within the system? Yes, there are um, real believers inside the government-run churches. Um, they're trying to help get the gospel out, um, but they also be, have to be very wise what they do, because if they go too if they go too far and they're really evangelistic, they can get in trouble. Um, years ago, I'd heard about a pastor that was very, very evangelistic. Um, he heard through the grapevine that he was the next one to go to prison, and so he actually fled, and he's now in the United States. Uh, But then they put another pastor in his place, and that man, he was also very evangelistic. And so the man from the head church appointed a youth pastor to work with this man and to report to the government everything he was doing. Wow. I mean, just think about uh, the discernment you'd have to have uh, as a follower of Jesus, you know, in a setting like that. Uh, and, and again, I'm, you know, just referring back to the church in China, there are those that were actually controlled by the government. And because they heard the word of God, they made a decision to follow Jesus. Have you heard some of those kinds of stories as well, Patrick? Yes, you do hear stories of how God is working in the midst of it. I know even one pastor from Vietnam. He was the only pastor in an open church. And I asked him, I said, do you have spies in your church? He said, yes, they come every Sunday, but they need to hear the gospel too. And he said, one of them came to him after the church service. He said, Pastor, can I talk to you? And he said, yes. And he said, I'm ready to repent of my sins and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So he was kicked out of that city and sent down to to another part of Vietnam where he's now sharing the gospel. And this pastor said, we now have new spies in the church but they also need to hear the gospel. So it's exciting. The gospel keeps going forth in the midst of persecution and and opposition. And we are seeing that from Laos. Now, this is a country that doesn't get as much, um, you know, notoriety or reporting as say, you know, we talked about China or Nigeria, Pakistan, uh, North Korea, you know, those countries, but yet there are amazing things going on. But 
there's also troubling things. Now, you heard a story uh, recently of a pastor uh, that we understand, uh, as far as the information is being shared by the communist government, actually killed this pastor uh, late last year. What do you know about that uh, particular story and the death of this pastor? Well, I talked with my friend inside, and he said he researched the story. And yes, it is true. The pastor was killed for his faith by the government. It was not a retaliation or, you know, a bad business deal or something. It was based on persecution. Um, what's happening is China is pushing the, the Lao government. And China wants to control Laos. They want to move in more and more. And I think they're saying clamp down on the church. So I think that's part of what we're seeing is the pushback. Um, I've heard at the same time, there's economic increase. So that sometimes causes people to back off. But now we're seeing the, this resurgence of persecution. So I think it's the government trying to exert their control. And, and like I said, the Chinese government really wants Laos. They are trying to send more Chinese people in there. Uh, they built a high-speed uh, rail train. It goes about 130 miles an hour. And it is also, they built a high-speed highway, the toll road, and you can go 80 miles an hour on it. This is totally wow. foreign to Laos. I mean, we're talking a country that is mountainous and very, you know, uh, old roads. And we even traveled on one of the highways and the highway was missing. It was a dirt road for probably 20, 30 miles and huge potholes. And so this is what the people are used to. And then when China comes in and, you know, they kind of just forced it on the, I'm sure that the, the Lao government worked with the Chinese under the table, but the Lao people were not in favor of this high-speed train or this high-speed highway toll road. And so it's, it's taken a lot of jobs from them and the people are not really happy about it. You think that in some ways that uh, maybe the Laotian government would learn from what's happened in China when it comes to, you know, trying to persecute the church or persecuting the church. It actually causes it to grow. And uh, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Uh, you know, what is happening as a result of persecution uh, in Laos, uh, but also some reports that uh, you drew to our attention uh, just this week coming out of Laos from Luang Pradang province, uh, where there was a case of a village chief confiscating uh, from Christian families, the registration book. And again, it may be a little bit in for us to understand this, but it'd be like having our passport taken away, our ID. Uh, you can't get medical care, education without these documents. And these people become stateless. And so I guess this has been going on now for about six months. The reason that's happening, they refuse to renounce their faith. And Patrick, this is clear intimidation. You know, yes, it is. It's persecution. It's outright persecution and intimidation. And I think that's what the communists really like to do is, is intimidate the believers. And like you said, by taking their idea away from them, they can't go to hospitals. They can't get help. It really does make them without a state in a sense. They can't, they can't get the help they need. And so it's very difficult. Sometimes the kids are denied to go to school. And it just makes life very difficult for them. So it's kind of an intimidation, kind of a, a threatening thing that if you don't comply with what we tell you, we're going to persecute you. We're going to take away your privileges and kind of force them to back down. But a lot of Christians don't back down. They say, you know what, I'd rather move out of the area and start again. But it's difficult because when they take your ID, you have to have that ID to, to move to a new place 
to start afresh. And like I said, to get medical attention, to get any government assistance or anything, you have to have that ID. And I believe you have to have it even to register your kids in the schools. Now, you and I have done a lot of traveling around the world. We've you know, talked to a lot of persecuted Christians. The ones that we often uh, you know, interview or talk to are the ones that have refused to renounce their faith. Uh, is this kind of intimidation, though, working on you know, maybe believers that are new in the faith and uh, that they're maybe not you know, as passionate, maybe, or willing to take the stand when, you know, you know take that stand when they are being pressured? Um, yes, they do. It, it does work in some cases. I was talking to a friend the other day, and we were talking about how the tribal people have been very receptive to the gospel. And especially among the Hmong people, they've been very receptive. And I was telling this friend, and she said, yes, there is uh, receptivity, but a lot of the people are scared of the persecution from the government. They're scared to open up to the gospel because they're afraid of the repercussions. So it is working. But I have to say, Greg, the last night we went out in the market and we had about eight tracks for these Hmong people. And we gave them out. And I was so blessed by the receptivity among the people. When they saw their own language, their faces lit up, big smile on their face. They said, thank you. And one lady, I think she's a believer because her face, she was just beaming and she kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just thought, you know, I think these people are opening up. I think more and more people are realizing that communism's empty. It, it offers no hope to them. And they're searching, they're saying, what is the answer? And, and I think even people are searching and saying, well, is Buddhism really true? Has Buddhism really done anything for us? And so I think it's an exciting time in the country of Laos and I think people are opening up and, and they're saying we need more Bibles. So the church is definitely growing. When you hear the stories of, you know, these believers willing to stand firm under, you know, opposition, harassment and the things that, uh, you know, the government and, you know, tribal leaders are trying to enforce upon them, they need to have a strong faith. So how is the discipleship uh, part of this working. I know that's a big part of what you're doing. And even for the local churches to teach them, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be a cost here. Well, you know, dur during COVID, it was a really difficult time for them because the churches were closed down. But the government did allow them to go online and actually have church services online. And so that's kind of opened a new door for them because they've been able to use the internet to reach more people with the gospel. So the church has really grown through that. Um, they're really working on discipleship. You know, in in Asia, people are a lot more uh, family-oriented and more group-oriented. So whereas in the West, we're very individualistic. And I think because of the Asian culture, the people are more apt to get involved with discipleship. They're willing to come under authority in the church and to learn and to grow. And then just one really exciting story. Uh, we met a pastor, and this pastor was in prison for more than 10 years. While he was in prison, he actually led several young men to Christ. Mm -hmm. He discipled them, and they went out and planted over 50 churches. Wow. And, and he said, we need thousand more, thousands of more Bibles. Can you get us more Bibles? So the church is growing, and here's a man, even in prison, who's not defeated, not discouraged, but instead sharing the faith and these young men come to Christ, and then he disciples them, and then they go out and plant many more churches. And so it's exciting to see the growth of the church in the country of Laos.
It is exciting to see what God is doing because, you know, there's uh, the, the gospel will not be stopped. We know the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Uh, we have to keep reminding ourselves because it feels like we're losing the battle sometimes. And, and like in any war, spiritual war included, there are casualties, and many of those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we need to be praying for them. We're going to do that in a moment, Patrick, um, because they do need prayer. They need our support. Uh, people need to support uh, you and your team. Another report I want to talk about right now Um 15 families, including Pastor Song Kam, and he was evicted from his village uh, in that same province of Luang Pradang. Uh, and again, it was for, you know, not renouncing his faith in Jesus and worshiping the local spirits. And uh, now they have nowhere to go. So Patrick, how can we best then, you know, help our brothers and sisters that are being evicted? Because we know that this is a tactic of the enemy to get Christians to back down to renounce their faith. Um, how can we best then help them uh, when you hear of situations like this one? You know, first is to pray for them. We need to pray for them. And then also we work to send support to them, financial support to them, to encourage them that, you know, they need to, if they need to move to a new place and start afresh, that we can help them get resettled. And I know there's ministries helping with that as well. Um, but the, the really exciting thing is even when they are moved to new places, Greg, they keep sharing the gospel. And so, you know, the enemy thinks that, okay, I'm going to intimidate them. I'm going to kick them out of this village. And what happens a lot of times is they go somewhere else with the gospel and the gospel spreads. And so um, I think for them to know that believers around the world are praying for them and standing with them, I think is a real real blessing for them because they know that they're not alone they've not been forgotten is that one of the big parts of what you do patrick yes there's the bibles and that we we believe in that there's the training and all that and and i want to talk about that in just a moment but just the fact that you go there uh you and your team and you tell them that you know what there are believers all over the world that are praying for you and there's also believers in other parts of the world that are also being persecuted just like you guys are you know, it's been a really good way to help them, to encourage them, to let them know they're not alone. Right. Uh, years ago, I was with a group of underground church leaders in a country close by, and I told them that on this one day of prayer, there's going to be 50, 55 million Christians praying for them around the world. And these pastors broke down and started to cry. Oh, wow. They said, really? We thought the world forgot about us. I said, no, the world hasn't forgotten about you. There's many Christians who love you, that are standing with you and praying for you. And they were just brought to tears. They, they were so encouraged to know that they're not alone, that Christians are praying for them and standing with them. And, and I think that's the best thing we can do is just pray for them. And, you know, even when I travel in other countries, I tell people what's going on with the persecuted church. It challenges people to stand up for their faith where they're at, even in the free world. And they're challenged at how much people love the Bible in closed countries. And it makes them reevaluate. Am I really that committed to Jesus? Mm -hmm. And then, but to tell the brothers and sisters around the world that, hey, people are praying for you now in Colombia. People are praying for you in Cuba. People are praying for you around the world. Really encourages them to see the bigger picture that we're a global church. We're not just in one country or one city. We're, we're global, and that's exciting to me. And they may feel isolated, you know, being in a village somewhere and, and not realizing that, you know, they have 
brothers and sisters all over the world. I know for me, one of the, and it happened kind of my, my very first trip with the voice of the martyrs uh, when we went to South Sudan and uh, they had been through, you know, war and just so much tragedy and all the situations and horrible, horrible, uh, you know, poverty and, and all it went through and uh, meeting with these, uh, you know, pastors and many of them had no training at all. Many of the pastors had already been killed, but they said, we thought we were forgotten. And I remember thinking that and even looking up to the sky and going, you know, God, you you wanted us to come here. You sent these Americans and Canadians uh, to go to South Sudan just to say, you know what, you're not forgotten. And that is just such an important part of what you do, what Voice of the Martyrs does, and and those that travel to encourage the persecuted church. And and uh, we'll just keep on doing that. It's again, we it's not to minimize anything else that's going on that, uh, you know, getting the Bibles and training and all that. Uh, we'll continue to do that. But that encouragement and and the fellowship of our brothers and sisters and all of us together and it really is a two-way street it's yes you're helping them but they're also helping us to see what you know faith under fire looks like and especially as things are starting to become more and more difficult for, even for followers of christ in in america where you are or in canada where i am and uh, we just need to say we're not going to compromise no matter what it looks like so let's uh what does a typical village church or churches look like in laos uh, many of them they don't have buildings they don't have trained pastors and so vision beyond borders you go in and you see what's happening uh what is it what does it look like there you know, um, for many of these people, they live in very primitive conditions. A lot of them, like you said, have no electricity. They don't have buildings. So they'll meet in somebody's house. Um, you know, sometimes they have to be very quiet because they have neighbors that might report them. Uh, sometimes they have more freedom. If the, if the neighbors are open to gospel and are receptive toward them, they have a little more freedom. But um, they don't have official church buildings like we're used to. Uh, they don't have nice PA systems and overhead projectors. Um, years ago, they asked us, could we print a songbook for them mm. for the country of Laos? So we printed some songbooks. And the man that actually put it together, he came home later that night and saw like 900 songbooks that we had brought from the States that we had printed for him. And he just started to cry. He was so excited because the people had to use songbooks in their church because they did not have an overhead projector. And so these people are so excited to be able to sing and worship the Lord. And Greg, what's happening is some of these people are actually learning how to read now because they see the words on the page and they're singing them and they're starting to see, you know, learn how to read. And it's just exciting to see the gospel is changing, changing these people. They're becoming better educated. Um, it's just kind of lifting them up out of poverty as they start following God's ways and don't live under the the oppression of witchcraft and and the occult and i know that even village leaders when they see the change they their hearts often soften you know it's the the souls to pauls and then they become just you know very effective evangelists but in the tactics that are used you know to try to you know get these believers to stop you know meeting together or telling others about jesus you know we talked about medical service being held back um of course then it's difficult to support their families if they lose their job uh you know another tactic is arrest and now we've even heard as you were talking about earlier this pastor uh, that was killed by the communist government they have so many things coming at them so when you go in uh, and your team and and those that you've trained to train others, how are they preparing the believers to be able to withstand this kind of intense persecution? 
Well, first of all, they realize that this is part of the gospel, that, you know, it is biblical to suffer for your faith. You know, Jesus did not say we'd be loved by the world, but that we would be hated by the world. And so they realize this is part of Christianity, that a lot of the early church suffered for their faith and that a lot of believers around the world are suffering for their faith. And so we try to encourage them that, you know what, this is the normal Christian life is that, you know, people are persecuted. And so don't be discouraged. It's not your fault. It's not something you've done wrong. It's because you're standing for what's right. And I think that's why it's so important to get people Bibles so that they can read that this is part of the Christian life. This We see this all throughout the book of Acts. We see Paul writing about it throughout the New Testament. It's just part of being a Christian. And so we try to encourage them to spend time in the word, to get their comfort from scriptures. But most of all, to know that other believers around the world are persecuted for their faith and that this is what Jesus said would happen when we follow Jesus, that we will be hated by all. Yeah, that's something that, uh, you know, we don't, we like to be liked. I mean, who who doesn't want to be liked? But for the sake of Jesus, again, not just because of our behavior or things that we've done, uh, but because of our relationship with Jesus, we're reminded of that. And, you know, now, even as I've shared my testimony, when I first had become a Christian back in the early 80s, I didn't really know what I was signing up for. It, you know, was it within the first four or five years when I started to hear about the persecuted church through a great ministry called Open Doors, Brother Andrew's uh, organization. And I thought, wow, there's, there's a cost to this. And well, yeah, you read it in the Bible. So when, a, so when our brothers and sisters in Laos and they say, wow, there's a cost, they really do have to count that cost, don't they, Patrick? You know, they really do have to count the cost and they really think about it. How is this going to affect my family? How is it going to affect my village? What's going to happen when I come to, to faith in Jesus Christ? And, you know, they really count the cost and they say, a lot of them say, I'm willing to step over the line. No matter if this costs me everything, I found the truth now. It's kind of like the parable of the one who found the pearl of great price. They get, they find the truth and it's like, okay, I'm willing to sell everything else I have because I want to follow the truth. And I think there's something really beautiful about these believers because, you know, they're not attached to the things of the world. Like so much in the West, we, we struggle with these things. They are all about what's eternal, what really matters for eternity. They realize that this life is temporal. It's just temper. It's a short life. But I want to live a life that pleases God and brings glory to God. And so I'm always inspired when I'm around them because they're so single focused. And a pastor we delivered Bibles two years ago, I said, he, he had been in prison three times for helping the tribals. I asked him, I said, do you want more Bibles? He's like, oh, please. And if you could just bring them by taxi, but if you could bring a truck and just back the truck up to the church, I'm thinking there's spies all around this church. I know it. And he, he was like, he had paid the price, Greg. He's like, you know, what more can they do to me? They persecuted me. They put me in prison three times. What more can they do? They, if they want to kill me, I'm going to be with Jesus forever. And it's just so beautiful to see that that single focus and that just that love and devotion to Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And <laughs> just back the truck up and and yeah, there's guys <laughs> probably taking photos and you know you're gonna be in trouble, but they're going, Hey, you know what? This is this is what it is to follow Jesus. And again, that 
that kind of passion really impacts us to be stronger, you know, in our faith as well. Now, Patrick, you've traveled to many nations. You've been in Muslim nations. We've been together uh, as well, meeting with believers from countries like Iran. Uh, and, and you know, we're seeing, you know, God moving all over the earth, you know, amongst the Muslims, the dreams and the visions. What are you seeing in a country like Laos that is communist, Buddhist? Are you seeing God working in powerful ways in the supernatural? You know, I hear some stories about the supernatural, not not as many as we're hearing out of Iran, but I've heard stories of village leaders having an encounter with Jesus for like an hour. And then this man gets converted and he, he went to another village. He led 104 families to Christ, 104 families. And he's like, do you have any Bibles? And we had just brought a big load of Bibles and we showed him this Bible. He had never seen the whole Bible before. So when he saw this Bible, he was so thrilled. He said, do you have any more? And we had just brought in 166 the day before, and we gave them these Bibles. And it's just exciting because they God does something in, in their lives. And, and a lot of it's through the supernatural. You know, in Laos, they're used to the supernatural because they do a lot of stuff with uh, witch doctors and, you know, a lot of occultic stuff. So they're used to this kind of, they're used to the supernatural. But when Jesus appears to them, things change. And they're just like, okay, I know this is the truth now. And then once they get a Bible and start reading the word of God, they get grounded. And then they say, I want to go share this with everybody else. And that's why the church is growing so fast in Laos is because you're having people come to Christ and they're getting discipled and getting grounded in the word. And then they're wanting to share what you told them with everybody else. And so evangelism kind of just becomes a natural thing because they're excited. They love their families. They love the people in their village. They want them to have that same joy and peace that they have. And so the church really grows. And they see people living their faith, even in the midst of difficulty and persecution. And then that has an effect. Yes, there are some that will back away and, you know, kind of be secret Christians or maybe even leave, you know, the faith. But, uh, you know, God is working and because they see the value. And if somebody's willing to suffer, and again, we don't pray that persecution comes to anybody, but when it does come, the Lord uses it, and we see it all through the Bible. And and you and I know, you know, reading in Book of Revelation that uh, you know persecution is not going to stop uh, until right. that last martyr. And so we continue to, you know, I mean, we always kind of feel conflicted. We're praying, uh, you know, that our brothers and sisters, as they're suffering, that they wouldn't suffer when they're imprisoned and they're going through difficulty. We 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 wouldn't want that for ourselves. But then on the other hand, you see the result of that and how it is, you know, firing up the passion for uh, these wonderful believers in Laos. Uh, Patrick, before we go, can you pray for our brothers and sisters? And I'll join in with you and all those listening or watching. Uh, you know, again, this is a country that we don't hear a lot about, uh, Laos. Um, but again, God is working. He's working in every nation in the world. Um, but it's mm -hmm. a special place. I know it has a special place in your heart. You've interacted with the people. Uh, you've seen that amazing amazing faith we've been talking about. So can you lead us in prayer? Before I pray, can I just share one story real quick? Absolutely. We, we just had a team in December that went into Laos and there was a man on the trip. He's probably maybe late uh, middle fifties. He has struggled with drugs most of his life, not only dealing drugs, but using drugs. And he got saved a couple of years ago and he'd been on a couple of trips with us to other countries he went to Laos 
And he came back and he said, Pastor, he said, I see the faith that's so real in these people. He said, I can't live the way I used to live anymore. I want to live sold out for Jesus. And so they're being an example to us, to inspire us to live sold out for Jesus. So I'm just really blessed, and I'd like to go ahead and pray for the believers in Laos. Father God, we come humbly in the name of Jesus. We lift up to you our Lao brothers and sisters and the tribal people in Laos. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen your church during this time of persecution. We pray you'd strengthen them. We pray that they would not back down, but they would stand firm in the gospel. Lord, knowing that this is part of the price of serving you, Jesus. Lord, we pray that the gospel will continue to spread in Laos. We pray for those that are persecuting our brothers and sisters. Lord, we pray that you would touch their hearts, that you would soften their hearts, that they would be brought to repentance, and that they would go from being the persecutors to becoming persecuted, that they would stand for the truth, Lord Jesus. And so we pray that in the midst of all the opposition, that your church will continue to grow in Laos. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Patrick. You know, all these podcasts that I do and any reporting I've done for the Voice of the Martyrs, um, it's always that two-edged side of this thing you know you've got on one side um persecution and yet on the other side you're seeing the result of that and people coming to the lord and so thank you for going i know that uh, it takes a toll on your your body and uh, you know just even emotionally at times it's difficult but so appreciate all you're doing uh, uh again you're the founder and director of uh, vision beyond borders and uh, we're going to put information uh on the uh, episode notes so people can find out more about your amazing ministry and uh, what you're doing not only in laos and and the other kind what are some of the other countries you are working in, uh, Patrick? Uh, we, we work a lot in Cuba, uh, Vietnam, uh, Burma. You know, we've been working actually a lot into Latin and South America now, working to get more Bibles to people and just trying to get the Word of God to people. One of the countries is uh, Colombia. They're very concerned about the future of their country with a new communist president. So um, just trying to encourage them and say, you know, this is part of serving Jesus. You're going to live under, uh, you may live under corrupt government. And so you just got to keep serving Jesus no matter what happens. So we're excited. And I just really appreciate this opportunity to share, Greg. Well, so good to see you again, uh, Patrick, and all the amazing work that you're doing. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be back on the mission field together. Again, I know when we were together, uh, we just had a wonderful time of fellowship. And then just seeing you, uh, you know, working up close with uh, so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, bringing encouragement and bringing help. And if you would like, again, the information about Vision Beyond Borders, uh, I will put it on the episode notes. And if you're listening and you want to write it down, it's visionbeyondborders.org. That's visionbeyondborders.org. Org. And if I could also ask you to rate or leave a comment on about this podcast for your friends and let them know we want people praying for the persecuted church. And as the Holy Spirit moves upon our hearts, that we will also be able to help in so many practical ways. Again, Patrick Klein, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Greg. Really good to see you. And good to see you too. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.